2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash loss. That's plushcare.com slash loss. You cool? I'm cool. You
0: cool? I'm cool. You cool? I'm cool. We're cooling out. You cool? I'm cool. You cool? I'm cool. You cool? I'm cool. We're cooling out.
2: What's up, people? This is Cooling Out. We are back. It's Kev. And it's Rao. We have a... Whew. We have a guest tonight, very versatile, multi-talented guest, Mr. Eric Santos, author of Shoot Your Shot, uh, co-founder of Big Brother's Boxing Gym. Uh, I'm leaving something out. Are you the co-founder of Hub UX as well? Yes, sir. Yes. I don't want to leave anything out. So what's up, man? Pleasure to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you. It's uh, uh, it's a pleasure (laughs) to be here. So thank you guys for the invite.
2: Yes, man. Definitely. Of course. Um, so just give the people, you know, tell people a little bit about yourself. Just give them a quick little spill about everything and who you are, what you do.
1: All right, cool. cool. Will do. So my name is Eric Santos. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur and writer. Um, I, I've started several companies. The main one that um, I am a co-founder of right now is called Hub UX. It's a software company that helps uh, people that are doing market research find the correct people to do research with. So let's say you're testing out a new product or a new app and you need like 100 people from California that are 18 to 35 year old females at Target. We can use our software to help you find those exact people so that you can conduct market research and really gain insights make your products better. So that is uh, my main company. I've been working in technology for a while now. Uh, I've started several companies. I've been CEO before of uh, technology startups, and kind of on that note of loving technology, uh, one of the main reasons I love it is because that it really makes our life easier, um, and the fact that you know it saves us time and makes us create more efficient ways to do things. And um, speaking of more efficient ways to do things, I'm also the author of the book "Shoot Your Shot." which is literally about dating in the era of sliding in the DMS and swiping right. So (laughs) over the last, you know, five year, five, 10 years, the advent of really Bumble and Tinder, as well as Instagram really changed the dating landscape. Um, because although 10 years ago you already had dating platforms out there like match.com and eHarmony, uh, they were really based around trying to find, you know, your soulmate per se. Um, and I think 85% of the demographic of those platforms were over the age of 30. And now it's just really commonplace for people in their 20s and 30s to be on these apps such as Bumble and Tinder. And then even Instagram itself has changed the dating paradigm. Uh, back in the day, people would meet sometimes on Facebook and Face, uh, MySpace, and all those good ones. But Instagram really changed the way people do it because you know on Instagram it's just constant flex off and. It became more important how you look versus what you have to say, um, and that's why you know, coining uh, t- the term "sliding the DM" became a big thing. But uh, yeah, so that's that's uh, what my book's about. Shoot your shot. And uh, the last thing is, I am a co-founder of a gym called Big Brother Boxing. Um, we opened it last year. We already outgrew the small space we were in into a much bigger space. And um, you know, I'm really hyped right now because we recently turned uh, the gym into a nonprofit so i am based here out of fresno california and uh here inside uh fresno california uh we have a strong uh you know latino population and even though fresno is the fifth biggest city in california and i forget it's like one of the top 50 biggest in the u.s it still has kind of uh it's definitely one of the poorest zip codes in the nation and uh it's great to be able to create a gym that really here to the south side of Fresno, the southeast and southwest allows, uh, you know, underprivileged kids uh, to be able to train boxing. Um, after now that we just turn it into a non-profit and raise money, they're gonna be able to train for free. But more importantly, you receive mentorship, um, in leadership, and even the kids that have been in the class up until this point have uh, definitely saved that boxing has really kind of changed their life, kept them out of trouble. Um, you know, getting your ass kicked is a very humbling thing. So. It's a uh, yes. it's a great it's a great way to get out aggression, uh, be humbled and so on. And I'm just humbled about the whole experience. So yeah, that's me. My name's Eric. Uh, those are the really kind of main three things I dabble into. Uh, I do I do some other things, but uh, yeah. Gotcha. Get started.
2: So as a youth, uh, growing up and and Fresno, how did you get in get into like the the tech scene? Like, did you know that you would always want to be in tech, or like, how did you kind of evolve into? the the career that you're in with Hub Hub UX.
1: Yeah, so um, the uh, a little little background. Um, so I was born into uh, a suburb or a small town called Visalia, kind of the outskirts of Fresno here. And um, a big influence was my dad because when we grew up in Visalia, we didn't grow up in necessarily the best side of town. And no one in my family went to college in terms of like my parents, uh, uncles. I think, you know, my dad popped in, mom popped into like a a class or two in junior college, but no one ever went to university. And I didn't really know anyone on that path kind of in Visalia because there's also, Visalia itself, um, yeah, it's just not a lot of people. There's a small junior college there, but Fresno is about about 40 minutes away. So uh, a lot of people just kind of uh, maybe do junior college or just work out of school or get in trouble, et cetera. The reason I kind of got into the field is my dad really pushed me on education. And he really pushed me because growing up uh, when I was in grade school, uh, as I mentioned, we didn't live in the best side of town. And my dad kind of worked, I think, a general minimum wage job. And what he did while working at that job is he taught himself computers. So every day after that work, after working, he would read these big, long Microsoft certification textbooks and he would just teach himself computers. And he probably did this for a year or two. Um, by the time, I think like seventh grade, he was able to change his occupation and get into the computer field and wow. uh, you know, change where we live and all that good stuff, and he was really self-taught. He didn't go to school for that, but he understood the importance of school because even though he taught himself all that, he still wasn't able to get paid nearly as much as the people in the computer field that went to like a college and had a four-year degree, even though he probably knew just as much as them from teaching himself. Um, yeah. so. He pushed me to, you know, obviously go to college. And at first, I thought it was a semi pipe dream. Um, I did all right in high school. It wasn't the best student, wasn't the worst. Uh, you know, I, I felt really smart because I hanged out with a lot of students that didn't do well. So compared to them, um, I felt were, I was really smart. You were killing really it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was killing it. But, you know, in, a, in reality, I didn't get accepted to a four year university out of college, uh, high school. I went to a junior college first. And uh, that's where I chose business. Um, because my dad wanted me to choose computer science or something engineering related um, just because that's kind of you know, what he was doing at the time. And uh, I think one year in high school you kind of go through this period where, where you want to be like your parents or you want to rebel and be a little different. And though, although I love my dad and respected him a lot, I kind of want to do my own thing. I thought at the time computers were kind of geeky. It's ironic now just because I work in that field but um, I decided to choose business because I've always just loved that hustle mentality. You know, I was already like in high schools uh, selling um, uh, like Jordans and fake vape watches from like LA and probably stuff I shouldn't even disclose, (laughs) but just I was always kind of like hustling and just selling stuff and that was just kind of the mentality that I had. So business seemed like a natural progression. Um, So uh, that's what I went to school for, Um, went to junior college for two years, then went to uh, Fresno State, which is a four-year university. There I chose my option as entrepreneurship. And my senior year uh, getting ready to graduate, that senior year you have to uh, choose and create a business in order to graduate. So that last class, it must be like five units, it's a pretty good amount of units, and all you do is show up the first day, tell the professor what you're gonna build, show up midterm, like a 20-minute session with them, kinda of say, this is what i built so far, and then the final day is just a presentation showing how far you got. And depending on the type of business that you did uh, depends on how you're, how far you had to go to get an A. So like if you created like a lawn mowing company, you would have to mow some lawns and get some actual cash to say you created a lawn mowing company. But if you're creating something like a technology company, maybe you had to get to like a prototype or some people using it for free. So kind of the difficulty of the business depended how far or how much, if any, money you had to make. So. I kind of knew this going into uh, my first semester of that senior year um, when I knew the last semester I was going to have to create this business but I couldn't really think of what business I wanted. A lot of my friends uh, in, that, um, in that track kind of were working on something for a few years so they kind of knew exactly what they wanted and I was just kind of lost. I knew I wanted to do business but I didn't know exactly what and I was really leaning towards fashion at the time. I wanted to create my own clothing company and um, then I watched the movie The Social Network. Uh, Which is about the advent of Facebook. Anyone that has not seen this movie, I would suggest you guys see it. Uh, It's it's a great movie, and that movie super inspired me because I just saw they created this. You know, at the time, Facebook had five hundred million users when Mm -hmm. that movie came out. Because I remember that was the sign. It was like, you have five hundred million friends, or and no. And all enemies. I don't remember. It had something like kind of cool. Now Facebook has over like 2.5 billion, so it's crazy. Even since that movie, they've grown um, a lot. So after I saw that movie, uh, I was like, "That is so cool that you can create something huge like that from your laptop." So I decided I want to get into the technology field. The only crazy thing is I knew really nothing about technology. I mean, I knew my way around the computer and whatnot, but it's not like I went to school for programming. Um, But right after that movie, I remember going to Carl's Junior with my dad and. Uh, I said, I'm not going to leave here until I think of uh, a company I'm going to start for my senior project and uh, related in technology. And that's when I came up with my first company, which was called SocialWise. And it was actually a place where. Uh, Wait, can I just got... stop
0: you real quick? Can I just. Yeah. How long did that take? You said you weren't going to leave. How long did you did it take for you to come up with
1: that? Uh, I mean, probably like two hours. It was like I mean, finished the food wow. pretty early on. We're just chilling there. And, okay. uh, yeah, so we were there for a while, and I was thinking of several ideas, um, when, and it came down to an idea that was based around uh, a problem that I saw with my uh, old roommates at Fresno State, which had no game, and uh, they had trouble <laughs> talking to the opposite sex, and I'm not, at the time then, I was no expert, not even, I mean, i, I mean, i get, technically I'm an expert now because I wrote a book, but that's subjective. But anyways, at the time, <laughs> I thought there was a way that could uh, better Marvel help Bryant. men to, thanks bro I thought there would be a a, a better way that could uh, you know help men learn how to talk to women so Mm -hmm. I created the idea of a place where they could pay to talk to a dating coach through the form of video chat Um, so you know you would pay X amount of dollars you would connect in a video chat talk to the coach so they can tell you you know what to say, what to wear, what to not say etc and that was the original idea of the company and um you know, the, the, the company, uh, it eventually won some accolades, it won an award from PayPal because by then we kind of um, out, worked outside of just dating advice. It was like, the idea of, at that point was going to be a website where you can get advice on pretty much like any subject through video. Um, and it kind of morphed into something a little bigger but you know, kind of uh, long story short with it, the company was short lived because I got a, got a little bit of money from investors But um, it just we weren't able to finish building the product fully out to sell by the end of that money. Um, So I just uh, you know I I had to call it quits, um, and that was about twenty twenty one at that time. And after that, I just been in the technology field since. You know, I worked for a few comp. I worked for a company for four years called Decipher, um, which actually the founder and CEO of that company. That was a huge company, hundreds of employees. He's actually my business partner now with Hub UX, but. you know, to answer that original question about how I got into the technology field, it kind of first started by being a business major, in, uh, COS in Fresno State. And that eventually morphed into me working for my, starting my first company in technology at 20 years old. And then I've really been in the industry ever since, um, you know, and uh, yeah. Gotcha. Wow.
2: Is there a huge tech scene in Fresno? I mean, I know like there's like, Uh, Silicon Valley and all that stuff which is like further up north and then there's a tech scene in LA I would assume so But Fresno is in central, California if I'm not mistaken, correct?
1: Yeah, you're correct and uh, it's it's growing so It's crazy because I think Fresno specifically like Fresno County has to be one of the biggest uh, like ag uh, I guess it's definitely the biggest part of our economy like Stimulation is from like the ag economy and that's also like a heavy reason like the correlation of like, um, you know, Latino Americans here because of obviously, um, you know, workforce. Um, originally, not so much, but you know, for uh, for the ag uh, economy, et cetera. Gotcha. So technology is something that's really been kind of barely coming up in the past five years. Like when I started that first company, there was really no tech companies. And that was, um, yeah, that was almost 10 years ago, a decade ago, There was there was no real infrastructure for a company like mine, um, you know the actual people that invested, like I said, I raised a little bit of money from it, they were actually all like people in farming. Like I remember the first dude that invested gave me five grand, um, I raised about $75,000 total for that company, and um, compared to the, um, the last company I was CEO of, I raised over $600,000. Um, and at that wow. time, uh, the, when I did it five years ago, when I raised $600,000 dollars years ago or four years ago, there was definitely more people willing to invest in technology than when I did it 10 years ago. So yeah. when I did it about 10 years ago, I got that seventy-five grand. The first guy, he was a farmer. Or I actually think he owned a crop dusting business that like crop dusted, which is like uh, you know you fly over pesticide. You fly over oh. crops and you put pesticides. That's what thanks, he did. Thanks for that like, explanation
2: because you know, I had no idea what crop dusting was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So
1: <laughs> yeah, you would have to be like in a farm area to know what that means but yeah he flew planes that helped kill bugs at crops but he was like an older dude and i remember he gave me five grand for the business or five grand as investment i remember like eric when i go to vegas on the weekend i'll blow about five grand and this dude's like keep in mind he's like in his late 60s early 70s um and he's like this is me not going to vegas for a weekend and you know betting on you like it's not a big Mm. deal if i don't see it back but it would be cool to get a return so i remember that was a that was the first investment I ever took, but again, that was just kind of the level of he didn't really understand anything about the technology. I think he honestly just was kind of betting on the jockey at that point, which is you know me and the team. He just yeah. thought you know uh, they'll figure it out. So um, that was like ten years ago. Nothing was really existent. Fast forward to now, the technology scene has definitely grown. There's a company called Bitwise out here that uh, it's they they do they take they have I give them a lot of credit for a lot of the growth because they're kind of uh, what we call like uh, an incubator. So they help uh, provide mentorship and office space for like a lot of companies out here to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's just like Fresno, it's, it's a very unique kind of demographic compared to the rest of California. Like we don't have like a lot of wealth of like the Silicon Valley or like down south our, our friends like in LA. So we definitely have kind of that more almost like the farming mentality. Like you really just kind of grind for everything you have out here, um, that their company, uh, they actually, it was cool, they got um, recently like 30 million dollars to like, to invest in, um, to help uh, grow the Fresno economy out here in technology. And the people that invested were two main uh, like venture capitalists um, from uh, like Oakland and uh, I think the other guy, God, he must be from Detroit, because there's just like kind of similar stories. Like he saw like Fresno was a very similar story to kind of like Detroit of, uh, you know, well, Detroit's a little, probably proximately a little further from some of the bigger cities like yeah. out there. But like you know, just the same story of kind of like the chip on shoulders, um, city, et cetera, like, tr- something to prove. Um, like true. even when I've taken meetings in Silicon Valley with investors, they will literally say like, "Oh yeah, like we you cool company, but we'd only invest if you moved out here." Like Fresno has nothing but farmers. Like you can't grow a company out there. Like I've literally had people mm. tell me that out there. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, Fresno has grown a lot in terms of the technology economy. There was nothing here 10 years ago when I, uh, raised, uh, $600,000 from my company that I was CEO of about four years ago. It was really starting to pick up. Um, but now it's kind of in full swing. Uh, companies are starting, um, all the time. There's people here willing to invest and, uh, yeah, it's pretty exciting to see where it even goes now in the next five years.
2: Gotcha.
1: I have a, I have a Go question
0: ahead. to that point. And it might seem like yeah. a dumb question, but to somebody that's not really in like venture capitalists or anything, or what is the process of you soliciting investments?
2: That's a good question. But, that's exactly what I was gonna ask. <laughs>
1: uh, oh. Yeah, that that's a that's a good question. Um, it's it's really like sales. You know, have me having been in sales, like as. In the as the role of CEO in a high-level sales in organizations, it's a little different selling a product or service than it is selling an investment. Because selling a product or service is much more of kind of like a genuine thing. Um, and it's like uh, it, the, the investment's more of like a dance. Like it's like, first of all, investors never want to give money to companies that need money. It kind of goes against like, you know what I mean? They want the ones that don't want the money. Like it has to be like a sexy kind of thing to it. Like investments are, like weird, they have like this FOMO fear of missing out. So like soon as uh, a company starts getting funding, like they want to be kind of on that rocket ship. So when you do kind of the soliciting of investors, like it's hard to do cold solicitation. Um, like many mm-hmm. times they want to hear of you like in a news article or from like a colleague or another investor, not to say you can't solicit them cold, but you're like, you're, you're already at a disadvantage because you're kind of coming to them and they're like, I haven't heard of you. Um, unless you have something really special, it becomes hard. So it's it's really, uh, really relationship building because especially the times where I raise money for my companies, we we're really early on, like really early in revenue, not many customers. So those ones were really kind of based off just relationships. You get to the point later when your company has like millions of revenue or whatever, and you're just kind of like universally sexy and like you just send them like some numbers and they're like, okay, like." this makes sense but when you're such early stage like when I was you're really betting on the founders because like yeah maybe they've like sold you know a handful of people the product and they kind of proven that they can sell it but it's a whole nother story to scale a company and sell it from you know a handful of people to thousands or millions of people um, so yeah that's the the solicitation process is it helps if you can get them hear about you or um, someone helps but um, you know you can uh, reach out to them cold which I part of my investment, uh, I've taken gotten commitments from several investors through my career, and it's probably maybe like six of them. Only one of them was like a really cold like sending an email outreach. The other ones all came from introductions, mentors, etc. Gotcha. Okay.
2: Cool. So uh, let's talk more about your your writing. How did you? Uh, I guess. I don't want to say transform because I don't like to put people in boxes but how did you go from mm-hmm. necessarily um, you know working in tech to saying I want to write it I, I want to be an author I want to write a book how did, how did that transition happen?
1: Yeah so uh, I've been writing now probably about six years with the book just you know having uh, that came out a little less than a year ago um, so the, the first starting in writing was uh, you know I wasn't Classically trained as a writer, you know, like my brother's an actual English degree major and he's a a high school teacher in English So, you know, he's a great writer me. I was just kind of good at saying things Um, And then I just translated those to what I wrote, you know, I've always had uh, for lack of better terms a cold mouthpiece whether it was in business or whatever it was and uh, It's just like so much of business is being good with words like, uh, you know, just making especially like the investment whole thing like as I just said like you're literally just getting someone to believe in you and to invest amount of money because the data doesn't really back it up. Rarely ever it does like at the early stage that you do it because you have so little data points. You have just a few customers, you know, you have a lot of assumptions, but it's really kind of as you can articulate a vision of how you're going to get from being this small ant to this elephant in the industry. Um, so so much of that's just like being able to tell a story and being with good with words. So when I started writing, um, uh, you know, like five six years ago, uh, originally, um, I first publication I really wrote for was one called Elite Daily, um, and uh, which is a pretty big publication, so it's like really yeah. big first mm-hmm. publication to write for. Uh, at the time, they had people contributing articles. I think now they like closed that, but um, I kind of got lucky because like I used to write about like kind of niche things, um, like around like entrepreneurship and uh, business and stuff like that. So at the time, their demographic was mostly like kind of dating articles and like find yourself, like stuff you would expect on like, you know, an Instagram post or something like that. And they were kind of looking for some more, I guess, more mature content um, at that time. And then, you know, I wrote stuff about entrepreneurship. I remember one article was like um, comparing like rappers to like business, like startups, like which one would be which and stuff like that, unique content. Um, and then that's kind of how I started because I kind of wanted to build my um, I wanted to build my image as an entrepreneur, so that helped. And then also I was able to plug in my companies I was doing at the time to hopefully try to get user bases for them, um, because even though I had a full time job at the time, me and my uh, me and my uh, friend Ken, who was uh, my co founder of the company, I was CEO of, that I raised six hundred thousand for. That's called Benchmark Intelligence me and him worked together at the company I mentioned before, Decipher. And the whole time we worked there, four or five years, me and him were always just like hustling on the side, like creating apps and then just like trying to get user bases for them. And so the whole, when I started writing, it was again to try to establish my credibility as an entrepreneur, but then also plug in those apps into the articles and try to get them users and etc. cetera. And um, I had, you know, it was fun writing those business articles, but it didn't really take off as a writer until I wrote my first dating article. So I probably wrote a handful or two, or like uh, you know, anywhere from five to ten of these articles about business and various topics for Elite Daily. Until one time, um, I approached my editor to write a dating article, and the article was actually about my uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time, um, not my previous ex. In case she's listening to this, lecture but, <laughs> but but uh, the ex. The ex before that. So, um, and uh, yeah, so the article, it's kind of embarrassing because the article was called 10 Ways to Know You're in Love with the Right Person. And I wrote this, I don't even know why I wrote this, to be honest. Like, I was, I think we got in a fight, or we, I was just like hella simping, and I wanted to like do this as kind of like a declaration of my love or whatever it may be. <laughs> so, I, like, I was like, I pitched my editor, hey, I know I usually write business content, entrepreneurial stuff, but. I have this dating article, and I know the majority of your content's dating, and that's what your demographic likes to read, um, can I like contribute it? And she's like, yeah, i send it over. So I wrote it, again, it was called 10 Ways to Know You're in Love with the Right Person. The editor said, oh, this is great, I'm going to publish it. Um, and then the embarrassing part is by the time she published it, which was maybe like a week and a half later after I wrote it, me and uh, that girl broke up. So by the time <laughs> yeah. the article actually came out, I was single. And what just made it worse was the title of the article. It's 10 ways to know you're in love with the right person. The right person, like, shit, man. I wasn't even with, like, I couldn't even last all, like, week and a half with that right person for me to be with her by the time it came out. Um, And uh, it was kind of, like, embarrassing at first because I was like, ah, no one's going to read it. Um, And then it just, it went viral, man. It got uh, over 700,000 likes on Facebook. Um, that's what wow. it had at the time. Like they used to have like the like counter on the article. I don't think they show that anymore. But that was years ago. It's probably I would say it's over a million. Um, and the mm-hmm. last time I checked, it was like over ten million impressions, which that means like you know landing views on it, and it was it went big and it was it was funny and I remember like I I I started liking it because I remember like the it was on Twitter at the time. I was really big on Twitter and that's where uh, that and Facebooks really got shared. I remember like girls like. Uh, tweeting it or message me like oh my god this is such like a cute article like I wish a, a guy would write this about me or something like that I'm like shit girl you can have the real thing we actually broke up <laughs> um, <laughs> stuff like that and it was it yeah that article I was honestly helped me um, get kind of like some uh, notoriety. didn't unfortunately with that article didn't make any money off it because we were contributing articles at the time at then I was just kind of doing it just for really I guess uh, visibility and, uh, you know, people understand about me and my personal brand. But after that, I was able to take kind of the success of that article. Um, I wrote uh, for a while for askmen.com, which is like the number one men's journal. It's like 19 million uh, uh, readers at the time. And I wrote about dating content, but they, it was really cool with them. They let me kind of go free reign. Like they let me do Um, some entrepreneurial stuff like career advice, like fashion, dating, just stuff about men. They just kind of gave me a really will to write about whatever I wanted as long as it kind of fit in their thesis of like kind of helping create better gentlemen. Um, So that was great, you know, I wrote for a while. um, And actually writing for Ask Men and some other publications, I wrote for like Business Insider, uh, Yahoo Finance, VentureBeat, and others. That was actually able to help me fund my, helped me fund myself when I left my job February 19, 2015, to start Benchmark. Um, I went about a year and a half without payroll, and um, I did have some money saved, so that helped, but really writing helped supplement that and helped me get my company off the ground. So I am uh, super grateful for writing, but really after that period, I didn't write much, like, because I was just so busy with business. And I wrote the book, um, to- started writing the book towards the end, actually December 2018, um, I wrote it in one month. The first manuscript, um, yeah, it, 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 was, it was crazy. Just wrote it really quick. Uh, I just, I watched some. I, ma- I just made some idea, like in mid November. I'm gonna write a book before the end of the year. I remember announcing it to my friends and everything. Everyone thought I was just joking. I mean, they knew I was writing, but they just kind of thought I was talking shit, especially like the timeline, doing it one month. Um, and uh, I chose to do it because. December is always like slow in business people are on holidays and like I love my family But sometimes I just get bored like hanging out. So I just like being on my laptop just grinding So I was like I'll figure like this would be a good month to do it because I'm not doing a lot of things I was going through like some personal stuff where I was like kind of not really feeling like working anyway. so uh, Yeah, man. I wrote the book in one month um, the first manuscript I, I made a goal of writing like a thousand words per day and uh, and, yeah, it's, the book's about like 24,000, 25,000 words, I forget. So within one month, I spent, you know, about almost every other day or every day, so 24, 25 days to write that first manuscript. And, um, yeah, man, uh, it's, it's, it's been a fun process. But that's, that's kind of how I got into writing. And uh, really the last main thing I've written was that book. I've written one article out since then, but really I've just really focused on business and promoting the book
0: i know you said that you know, the month of december was slow and you had personal things going on but what was the motivation for you to write specifically about the topics you tackled what made you feel yeah. like you had something to say in that regard
2: yeah the shoot yeah. shot. shot <laughs> so uh-huh. the dm, DM slot in
1: <laughs> yeah so you know it it, it uh kind of all the things I wrote were always about you again, know, kind of career, business, and then really dating. So I just always kind of put those two niches. So if I was to ever write a book, it would be about those specific two niches, um, one of those two. And um, I, I got the idea I wanted to write the book first. I didn't know what I was going to write about, but I kind of was already leaning towards dating because I just I've, I've accomplished some things. I don't, don't get me wrong, I'm proud of what I've done so far, but not enough to like write a full like business book about it. Um, so dating also that in like. I just turned thirty, and if I was going to write a book called "Shoot Your Shot" or "Slide in the DMs," I wanted to get it out by my twenty before my thirtieth birthday. Um, so I just <laughs> felt like it was, it was good timing. But I'm on I knew I wanted to write s- too. <laughs> I wanted to write something about dating, but I chose the specific one because I had, uh, you know, I've well, first just I've been a fuck an advocate and of you know the dating <laughs> app. all right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month and six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. For the last five years myself, just being single the majority of the time, and um, you know, having the experience of writing a previously about dating, but the the main reason why is I had about three, uh, I had four friends, all in their late twenties to early thirties um, around this time, all get out of either uh, divorces or long term mm-hmm. relationships, mm-hmm. and they met, they all met their significant others in their early twenties. So they met them when Tinder was around, when Bumble was around, Instagram was just getting started, and so on. So when they became single. Um, they, uh, you know, kind of reached out to me to help because obviously, one, they knew I had game and two, I mean, I literally would write about dating advice and dating columns. So it seemed like kind of a natural friend to ask for help. Um, and I was just, you know, just really put them on game like, okay, you know, single, this is how it is now. This is how you utilize Tinder. This is how you utilize Bumble. You know, when you're at the club, like, you don't like girls nowadays, it's just better off asking for the Instagram. Um, and here's why, because, um, you know, uh, if you're both drinking the next day, if you send them a text, they may not remember exactly who you are. They may be slightly embarrassed, so they won't write back. But if you have the Instagram, it kind of, uh, you know, it puts a face to the name in both regards, especially, you know, if you drank too much as well. And it just makes it, you know, a lot more approachable, um, not just this random phone number. And these are just kind of like little things that I write about in the book. And, you know, I'm happy to go into more detail into any of them. But like these are just things that I kind of taught them and uh, things that i seen. And um, and I even like did some testing of like dating apps myself like when, um, early on when I got on these apps because I'm from like a market research background and like I'm really good with numbers and all that good stuff. So anything I, I try to do, I try to like validate like in a quantitative way and not just make assumptions. So I remember mm-hmm. when I first got on Tinder, which was when I moved I lived in Colorado for six months and Cincinnati, Ohio for six months in 2015 when I first started my company. So at that time, that's when I decided to get on apps because like I no longer knew anyone in either city. So I was like, I'm gonna get on these apps. And then when I did this, um, I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't even that good at them at first. Um, It took me a while. I mean, I had game at the point just from naturally from like dating, but like it was a different dynamic even myself trying to get used to the apps. Um, And I remember having one of my friends had like a lot more matches than me and he like kind of clowned me So what I did was I a B tested my profile which um, A B testing in marketing means that you test different uh, you test different um, uh, Like ads or kind of uh, messaging to That works to see which one works best so like if you're gonna run a Super Bowl ad which costs five million dollars to do You probably want to a B test like four different videos or commercials to see which one works best So all four commercials can sell like the same product and you can spend maybe like ten thousand dollars advertising each of them um, And then you can see oh this one outperforms them all by 2x um, well that saves you a lot of money if you like spent five million on the wrong one so uh, that's a common concept to test um, different things. So I did that actually with my Tinder. Like I tested different profile pictures, different bios, uh, even like the first messages I would send. I just did all this testing, and this is even before I wrote a book. Um, I did mention some of it, in an article I wrote once, but it was really just for my own internal research, so I could just get better at the dating apps. Because again, like I already, I always had game, and this was um, I was meeting people in person at the time mostly. It was just kind of. I needed to figure out how to get better quickly at using the apps and after that like um, with all my friends you know I would uh, always optimize their profiles for them and all this stuff and they would see like ridiculous just like the next day like oh my god I got three times more matches and like there is actual you know quantitative uh, reasoning to doing these things and like that's had been validated and tested so it was accumulation of all those things that were literally made a perfect story for a book I just did all of them without knowing I was going to write a book until the opportunity came where I was going to choose something right. And it was just like, man, I already did the blueprint for this like the last few years on myself and then teaching it to my friends. So that's really kind of what the book was about. It was just like uh, a, a chronicle of uh, my own anecdotal experiences with my friends, my own really kind of statistically backed test that I ran and research and so on. And, uh, yeah, that's uh, a big kind of uh, background and catalyst of the book. Got it. Mm. So how
2: long did it take you to, to write write the book overall? Because I know you have to write it, and then there's editing. And did you, like, ed- self-edit? Did you have someone else edit it? And then you have publishing and all that stuff. So if you can just kind of uh, give people the nitty-gritty on that.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, I, I Like I said, I wrote the whole manuscript in about one month. I say one month, but it was probably about five weeks. Probably went over a little bit. Um, and then there's about another two months after that until, like, just the logistics of getting a book going. So, like, the editing is a big part. Um, you know, you definitely want to pay someone to do that. And uh, I, editing is something I always need. Again, I'm not, like, classically trained in, like, English. So, I, I again, I, I have good things to say, but I definitely need an editor. Anytime I have something published, um, in that case, I had two people review it, um, professional editors um, review it. Because I did the book, I self-published the book myself, but another big thing that took time is I also created a publishing company. Because the way it works on Amazon, like Amazon made the barriers to entry of making a book super easy. But one of the problems is for many people when they self-publish a book, there's a thing called um, an ISBN number. And ISBN is kind of like a barcode or uh, a serial code number for books. and. It costs money to have these codes, but Amazon will give them to you for free. And it's like, oh, cool. This thing could cost like up to, you know, to get a package of them, you know, a few hundred to a thousand dollars, but Amazon's going to give me one for free. The reason they do that, because when they give you that, they technically own, really the, uh, they don't own the whole book, but technically they are listed as the publisher. And then if they're listed as the publisher, if you sell good, sell a good amount of the books, and then let's say like a Barnes and Noble or a brick and mortar wants to buy them, they can't. Because it's published by Amazon. Not that they physically can't, but they're not going to because it kind of like feeds your enemy's mouth. You know what I mean? Like trying to buy books from them. So yeah. um, what I did was create a publishing company called Go Getter Publishers. They've only published one book so far, but we'll see. If we can change that. And um, <laughs> they, you know, I I am selling my books on Amazon, and I actually have you know a few small um, independent, no big chain selling it, but small independent. Um, Uh, Retailers selling it, but I can do that because although it's being sold on Amazon and they make their they're actually the ones You know providing the paperback versions and all that the publishing rights are held by go-getter publishers Um, so that uh, Yeah, that's just kind of a thing some people I guess an oversight some authors make when they write a book Um, And though although it costs money to start a a publishing company and buy these ice bands It's not You know you can do it for a little less under a thousand in, in time So it's like it's better to spend that now up front Um, and then if the public does well and then you're like oh shit like I really should have done that you know and then you can't do it at that point then you've got to take it off Amazon I forget the process you got to do if you want to like try to redo that.
0: Okay, Um, just to get back to the book for a little what's the structure of the book like I know it's about shooting your shot so if I pick it up. What's the structure like.
1: So the structure of the book is really broken into – I could just name the names of each chapters. Uh, The first one just goes over – it's almost a history lesson of kind of how the dating landscape has changed with the advent of social media and just talks Mm -hmm. about um, how dating apps and uh, social has changed it. The second chapter is about how dating is a lot like sales. Um, you know, I have a unique perspective having been in sales and you know CEO role of companies, and um, the in sales, uh, sales is kind of sometimes has a negative stigma um, about it because you know it seems like you get kind of the like the imagery of like a like a like a grimy car salesman and so on. But in reality, sales is like making people aware about your product or service that can help provide value in their life or solve a problem for them. Like me, personally Personally, as an entrepreneur, I would never sell a product to someone that I didn't believe in or I wouldn't want to take money from someone if I knew the product wasn't going to work or solve the problems. And when I just talk about dating is a lot like sales, it's in that chapter. It's just kind of like talking about the same methodology um, and just stuff like, you know, don't take rejection personal because it's more, you know, it's just because I think I give the example in that chapter of like, you could be like a uh, a Ferrari, and like a, someone doesn't want to buy the Ferrari, and they're like they pass on it because they live in the mountains and um, they need something all wheel. I don't even know if a Ferrari is not all wheel drive, but they need something like a Range Rover, um, you know, because it snows every day, and a Ferrari just wouldn't be like practical. That doesn't mean you're less of a car because you're a Ferrari. That just means that what you're offering doesn't necessarily fit. That value doesn't fit what that person's looking for. So um, kind of that methodology about sales. The next three chapters are about really the mediums that you meet people on. So the first one being Instagram, Um, just talking about Instagram, um, how to properly slide in the DMs uh, if there is such (laughs) thing, which 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 there is. Um, You know, I've definitely slid in my share of DMs, had my DMs uh, slid in quite a bit too, and just really stuff about that because uh, honestly, the book is also written because it's kind of like sad. Like, well, well, if you,
0: uh, if you don't want to give too much away before you continue, for those listening, what do you have any tips for those that are looking to slide yeah, in the DMs?
1: Yeah, uh, like kind of honestly, one of the main reasons I write about this chapter is because like I always see screenshots of girls that like guys will say something like Hey, you're beautiful," and they'll like talk to themselves, but they don't get ugly really quick. Like, "Hey, you're beautiful. How's it going? May I take you on a date?" Like, "F you, bitch." Like, you know what I mean? It's like guys have <laughs> yeah. some some men in there. <laughs> <laughs> They, they don't take they rejection have, well. Yeah, they have. <laughs> they just have like such shallow egos yeah. or not shallow, uh, fragile egos. And it's just uh-huh. like, I see I see that. And that's why in the book I talk about rejection, why it's not this big thing, bad thing. Because like, you know, like sliding in the DMs, like they make it so accessible for any man to reach out to a woman that you say stuff that you wouldn't have the balls to say it in person. So I just really, the DMs, it's like, it's, it's really common sense, like the chapter really is, it's about, you know, being respectful, it's about being, you know, just straight to the point, just like stuff like that. And like the chapter kind of talks about like the legwork before, like sliding the DMs, like obviously you're going to increase, like in sales, like anything in sales, like if I make a cold call to a company, if they have heard of my company before I call them, there's a much better chance they're going to continue to talk to me versus they heard of John from some company they never heard in their life. Same thing. So if you can get the girl to follow you back before you reach out, that obviously helps, Um, you know, liking photos and even not being thirsty. Don't do it off the bat. Like let her follow you for a while. Let her to kind of get your vibe, let you know what you're about. Let, find out what she's about so that you can like, you know, when you do reach out to her, like your messaging is tailored to that. Um, And just stuff like that. It's, it's, the book you know it's it's more it's it's pretty common sense there's no crazy secrets or nothing manipulative in the book at all but it really does kind of just put it in layman terms of okay that makes sense and all this stuff so that's uh that's kind of a general idea of how that chapter works um the next chapter is about dating apps so Tinder and Bumble and that really kind of goes into the science of because like, Tinder is all marketing because Instagram is sales. Instagram is like, you're almost like making a cold call. You're sliding, you're shooting your shot, you're sliding in the DMs. You're sending an unsolicited message, you know, and you want to make sure that like you do your best to try to get her to reply. With Tinder, it's different. Tinder's all marketing because at the end of the day, they have as much power to have a conversation with you because they got to swipe right as same as you do. So Tinder is about making yourself marketable, um, you know, increasing your chances of her swiping right, et cetera. And then the, the conversation, and then really just taking it from a text-based conversation to, like, in-person. Um, and that's what Tinder's about. Um, chap, if you're on Tinder or Bumble and you're new to it, I would highly suggest getting the book. It's a lot of uh, golden nuggets in there. And again, this is not just anecdotal stuff about, oh, this is what I did to get, like, X amount of matches, which I've had a lot of matches in my life. But it's, like, legit, actually kind of researched. And I, I use know. other people, I use other people's findings to make sure and validate this stuff. Um, and, and then the uh, next chapter after that, it's called the um, meeting them the old fashioned way. And that's really just about meeting people nowadays in person, because even that dynamics changed. I talked about a little bit earlier, like sometimes you ask for a number and then people will say, oh, just follow me on snap and all that stuff. And it's like, sometimes you just might as well just uh, beat them to the punch in that and just ask for like the Snapchat or the Instagram um, up front. Unless, unless I, I would say if you really have a connection with the person you met out, then just get the number because that's better. But the majority of the time, like these are kind of maybe short conversations you have with someone at a bar or you dance one song. If you drink a little bit, as I talked about earlier, it's best getting the Instagram because, you know, and especially if they follow you back because at the end of the day, they're, um, you know, they have a name, a face of the name to be associated with. Um, they don't necessarily remember all the details, but um, yeah, if they see the next day, like, oh, cool. Like I met this cute guy last night versus like, how did this guy look? Um, so that's just kind of about the difference, um, how even meeting people in person has changed. And then, yeah, the last chapter after that is where, uh, I compare, you know, really shooting your shot to kind of like marketing. So as I talk about sales is you going to the people, you sending the messaging to them in business, you, the best products sell themselves. And when they sell themselves, that really means they're just marketed well. So that means people are coming to you to buy your product. You don't have to necessarily send salespeople out there. And if you can get to the point where people are coming to you um, in dating, then you're doing well. Um, And it doesn't necessarily mean like just you follow this chapter and your GMs are going to be full of girls trying to talk to you. But what it means is like uh, it's important to also, you know, be marketable um, when it comes to dating. And what I mean by that is like the example I said when you ask a girl for her Instagram. Maybe you hit her up the next day, sign in the DMs and say, hey, can I take you out to dinner? And let's say she just got out of like a relationship a few weeks before. And maybe that night before she felt a little brave, so she gave you the Instagram. And then she's like, you know, she came and was like, ah, actually, no, thank you for the offer, but I'm really not looking for anything right now. Um, I just got out of a relationship. I'm just trying to like, you know, spend time on myself, which is a totally understandable, and respectable answer. So, you know, I at that point, I would just say, okay, you know, thank them, you know, say it was a pleasure meeting them, uh, you know, wish them the best. And then at time, you know, after a while if uh, th- this person follows you, um, you know Instagram is like a marketing tool. It allows them to get to know you and so on. So when um, later down the road, this could be six, nine months, whenever it may be, maybe when that girl is ready to actually kind of venture into dating, she'll remember that gentleman that like you know asked to take her to dinner um, that she met that night and then like kind of was about you know, said uh, no problem. Um, and then she'll like maybe send you a message, she, she'll shot like, hey stranger, you know, how, how those uh, messages go. But, you know, just hit you up and uh, try to rekindle that conversation versus if you got that person's number and, um, and nine months went by and there's no way for you to really keep top of mind or market to them, um, then they might not ever have reached out to you. They might not remember what you looked nine months ago. They might not ever think about you after that day. But really it's crazy how Instagram uses this tool for us to build our personal brand and then really kind of keep, you know, the same way you want a, a company, you want to keep your brand top of mind for customers. Same thing um, as, I guess, you know, potential person to date or whatnot. So that's really what the last chapter about is about how dating is a lot more like marketing. And uh, yeah, that's really all the chapters. I think I just went through them all right now. So that's a very high level overview of kind of how the book goes i promise uh my writing is a lot better than probably how i describe it so check it out if you guys haven't it's available on amazon
2: cool and that book is called shoot your shot so also i want to talk to you about uh your love for boxing and uh the big brother big brother big brother's boxing gym Am am i saying that correctly I yeah, Big Brother that, Boxing. Name. Yeah, so Big Brother Boxing. So if you just tell people like how'd you how'd you get into boxing and what uh, kind of led to you and your other uh, co-founders starting your own gym?
1: Yeah, so I I uh, originally kind of got into combat sports uh, at 20 years old. I originally with kickboxing and Muay Thai, which is uh, you know boxing and kicking, kneeing, elbowing, etc. Cool. Um, and I've always just genuinely had this love for combat sports ever since. Like I'm a very uh, like a non-violent guy when I'm not in a ring. Like I've never been in a street fight in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. Jump once in high school. Maybe that led to why I wanted to, you know, learn how to fight later. <laughs> um, but, but uh, you know, never like the guy that starts problems at the bar, like lets, you know, my alcohol make it too much of me. Um, but, you know, I've just always genuinely <laughs> loved like the, the element of combat, you know, two people mutually agreeing to kind of, you know, it uh, really hit you more than you hit me and hit you harder than you hit me. Um, and that's kind of, you know, I've been dabbled into combat sports for ever since then, since I was 20, um, you know, train off and on. And then I've been training pretty heavily for like the last two years. And, uh, I was training at a gym, um, here in downtown Fresno and the gym closed and just me being the entrepreneur that I am, um, instead of joining a gym, I was like, I'm just going to open one. So, you know, I found some, Amazing co-founders. I have there's there's three of them. It's another Eric Paul and Roman Paul was a professional boxer and Roman was a really high-level amateur boxer and um, We kind of all joined the gym. We started the gym back in April last year really in a, like this really kind of closet space is just a few hundred square feet um, initially for um, did some one-on-one training and really small classes because we just kind of have the room for it And um, I can't even take credit saying the nonprofit was my day off the bat. It was always been Romans because Roman and Paul, you know, kind of, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, I had my troubles when I was growing up and it wasn't boxing that necessarily kept me in line. It was just other things, um, school and different things. But with them, it was, uh, you know, in and out, juvie, whatnot, then boxing, you know, kind of changed their lives and then set them on the path that they're at now as entrepreneurs and, um, you know, respectable people of the community. So for them it was like a big deal doing a nonprofit like for us to eventually do it and i was on board with that 100% because i remember when i graduated college i wanted to actually maybe work for a nonprofit i remember telling my dad like hey i'm thinking about doing a non- working for a nonprofit and he told me like that's great you can definitely help people but he's like if you get if you like really try entrepreneurship he's like people who are able people of power people who have money can accomplish a lot more for good than you can just as an individual working for someone um, so that was kind of always in the back of my mind like if um, I ever was in a place of success or uh, wealth, I would try to do that and I haven't even even necessarily got there yet with my company But I've at least gotten in a place where I can be a co-founder of something that makes a difference So, um, you know, we had the gym and then we've converted it at uh, the beginning of this year to a non and we've been uh, fundraising since so the idea is um, with the fundraising amount to have over 50 kids um, come to the gym where they can train for free. Um, and, you know, they will have certain GPA requirements that they got to keep to train for free because obviously the, the demand is bigger than just over the 50 or so kids. Like people want to do this, but we have to have some way to make sure that, you know, the people are taking it serious that are in there. So that's why, um, you know, we provide uh, leadership coaching, um, development um, through mentorship and so on. And it's really cool man, it's just uh, boxing, it, it doesn't feel like when I had even the for-profit one it didn't feel like a business and definitely doesn't feel like one now with the non-profit. It really just feels like a clubhouse that I start with my friends that we're using to give back to people. Um, and uh, the gyms right across the street from my place so I'm like, I'm there working out every day. I just sparred yesterday, uh, face is a little sore still but um, <laughs> yeah man, it's, it, it's, it's great, I, I love the sport. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm in the position where I can help, help empower others through the sport as well.
2: Oh,
1: man. Wow.
0: I just got a question. Since you are living a life of a real entrepreneur, not just somebody, you know, putting it in your Instagram handle, you know, co-founder, author, you run mm-hmm. your own boxing gym. How do you balance your
1: days? Um, you know, balance my days, uh. I wake up, um, semi early, not like, not like I know some entrepreneur friends that wake up like four or five every day. I wake up like six, six 30. Um, I'm able to do a lot in my day because all my businesses are like within a few blocks of my place. So my, as I mentioned, gyms yeah. across the street from my loft, um, our hub UX headquarters is like about three blocks away. So, you know, wake up six, six 30, try to get a boxing workout anywhere between like 7 a.m. to like 8, 8.30, um, get into um, Hub UX office by 9, maybe 8.30. Um, you know, that's my, that right now I consider that like my job. Um, I'm a co-founder and business partner, but the easiest way to keep yourself accountable is just to treat it like a job, be there during normal business hours. Um, obviously, I have the flexibility to work wherever I want or stuff like that if needed, but I mean, all my partners, we keep each other accountable. We're always there, so it's just, you know, we're just in there grinding during kind of the normal business hours until um, like, you know, five, six, then after that, um, I typically will get another workout and I like lifting. So I'll usually get kind of something in, um, pick up dinner, come home at my place by like my eight or so. And then honestly, I just work again till like I sleep. Like, I, I just love it. Like, I don't have anything else I'd rather do. Like, if keep in mind, like, if I want to go on a date or hang out with my friends, like watch a show or whatever it is, I can with them because I have that flexibility. But if like, if I'm just at home, like, I watch TV on the background, but I'm not, like, fully watching it. And I'm not even, like, necessarily even fully working after 8. It's, like, it's kind of like a combination of, like, 70% working and 30% watching TV. You know what I mean? But it's, like, that 70%, I can still accomplish a lot. So, you know, mm-hmm. working on the gym. Uh, you know, I also, I um, didn't even mention, I'm also a partner in a, I own SmellDope.com. It's a clone store. So if you guys need any cologne, uh, check that out, SmellDope.com. <laughs> But I got like all these little things that I'm involved with. I don't even mention, um, but I just used my evenings for that really. So again, I treat my main business because that's where my co-founders have invested their money, where I've invested my time and I want to make sure that works. Um, but then the evenings I spend working on things that I don't consider work as much, if that makes sense. And then, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's just kind of my thing. I'm just dedicated with it. I, I spend every, I spend at least a few hours every weekend, um, you know, Saturday, like you know, typically I'm out with my friends, so I wake up, you know, just a little hungover, but I'll go to like the coffee shop down the street, work for three, four hours, getting coffee, water, bagel, feeling better, and then maybe like, you know, go hiking or just do something during the day. But um it, it's just what I do. Like I feel weird when I'm away too long. I don't like vacations to be honest. My favorite vacations are where I kinda of do like a business trip, um, where I can do like one or two meetings during the day and then like maybe take my friends and be like, you know, wild out at night. And then just I, I just like I can't be like two week vacation. That would just kill me. Like being away from everything for two weeks. Um, weekends are fun, maybe three four days, but nothing longer than that. Gotcha. Okay,
0: I think my last question: What are some shorter long term goals you have for yourself?
1: Yeah, so um, you know, with uh, I, I maybe a lot of entrepreneurs think of long term goals quite often. It's weird, I. I rarely think of like super long term ones. I even I have like pictures of where I want to be in a long long term, mm-hmm. but so much can change in such a short amount of time. Um, so I'm always really thinking like a quarter ahead, twelve months ahead, etc. And then you know, kind of with us being into the second month of the year, um, you know, it, it's cool. We just entered a new decade like a month and a half ago, um, and it, it was cool. I think I, I actually wrote a, a blog post um, that's on. Substream magazine. It's called Twenty Lessons I Learned um, Before Twenty Twenty or something like that. It was, it was pretty cool reflecting over that time because my 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 life cycle has been like in line with the decade. So like from last decade, I was exactly twenty. I started at twenty and I ended at thirty. So this one will be my, my this whole next decade will be all of my thirties and etc. Um, and you know mm-hmm. with this one, I've I've definitely the last decade just learned a lot of things. And um, this year is uh, is really just like taking it even further. Um, this year, like with the business, I know you know this time I'm this time around I'm blessed. the Last company I worked for, I was CEO. Of. This one I'm a business partner, but I am mentored by my old CEO um, and a guy that's you know um, that's achieved a lot, sold company for. You know, millions and millions of dollars, um, and has done a lot. So I'm in a place where I am making executive decisions, and I'm a business partner. But I'm at the same time, I'm also in a state where I'm learning a lot. You know, I'm learning from him. Um, I'm training boxing like every day now. Um, you know, learning from my business partner, who's also my coach. So really, kind of just being very open-minded to things. Um, no real specific goals. I mean, we have like a revenue goal that we have in mind. Um, but mm-hmm. other than that, is just like making the best of each day. Um, you know, uh, I've gone through things in life where I just realized I am super blessed. And um, I think sometimes you just get so focused on grinding, you don't really, you know, as cliche it is, take time to smell the roses. And um, I think I've just became more appreciative in life and uh, doing some fun things like writing the book, helping in the gym has actually been very helpful and therapeutic. Because when I was CEO for four years, it was just heads down, just that's mm-hmm. all it was. And it's kind of, it's weird, working more has brought more balance into my life if that makes any sense. It's just because I'm just so in love with it and I don't need to find uh, gratification from these external things and this is just, I'm on this path and I'm just excited about it and I'm just continuing to work on it Um, and there's no like crazy necessarily goal in mind but it's just, I like where it's going and I'm excited to see where this goes. So it's not a very specific answer but those are kind of my short term and long term goals. Wow, wow, nice
2: man. Well, we definitely like definitely 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 appreciate you coming on the podcast and bringing your perspective to entrepreneurship uh it's it's really inspiring to you know to have someone on the podcast who just you know dabbles in so many different areas, you know, from writing and publishing a book to opening your a boxing gym and you know being a founder of so many different businesses and ventures to Publishing you. company. Yeah, publishing company, yeah. My bad.
1: Cologne. Uh, yeah.
2: Cologne. Oh, I forgot my smell dope. Yeah. Yeah. Smell
1: nah, dope.com, you guys check it out.
2: Yeah, man. So it's it's really really just it glad to motivated. have you on the podcast yeah. and really like, you know, really appreciate you taking the time to join, you know, the podcast with us.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you guys so much. This is uh it's been a blast, honestly. So you guys uh yeah, thank you.
2: Cool man. Go ahead and plug away, man. Let people know where they can find you on Instagram, find the book, all that good stuff.
1: Alright, cool. So, um, you know, main social media platform I'm on, probably no surprise from what we've been talking about, Instagram. Um, so my uh handle is Eric Santos C E O. So that's E R I C S A N T O S C E O. Um, you know, ladies, feel free to shoot your shot. Uh anyone else, really feel free to shoot your shot. Uh, you know, ask questions, whatever it is, I'm here to. One of my favorite parts is just like helping people. Um, Like I'm not at a place in entrepreneurship. There's definitely a lot more successful ones and a lot of people I ask for advice, but people just starting out, I can definitely give a lot of great advice to get you going. Um, And I I usually have a unique perspective about it. So yeah, um, check that out. Um, The book, Shoot Your Shot, available on Amazon. And uh, yeah, if you guys ever need cologne, smelldope.com and um yeah, that, that's pretty much it. Uh, I hope to he- hear from some of you guys, and uh, and it's been a blast.
2: Cool, man. Well, people, make sure you guys go check out that book, Shoot Your Shot, especially for the fellas. You know, sliding them DMs, it ain't easy, so make sure you shoot your <laughs> shot. Go get that book, it's on Amazon. Um, as always, people, thank you for listening. Thank you for the love, the support. You can listen to the podcast episodes. Everywhere, podcasts to stream, Amazon, Google Play, Stitcher, all that good stuff. We are everywhere. Apple Podcasts. Google, did I say that? I did say that. We are everywhere. Um, make sure you check us out on Instagram, Facebook, the website, coolingoutpod.com. Again, that's coolingoutpod.com. Uh, we're going to get some more videos up on IGTV and YouTube. And you need, need anything, Kev?
0: No. No, we office. got it.
2: All right, cool, yeah. man. Until next time, it's cooling out.
0: Stay cool. You cool? I'm cool. You cool? I'm cool. You cool? I'm cool. We're cooling out. You cool? I'm cool. You cool? I'm cool. You cool? I'm cool. We're cooling
1: out. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?